Tornadoes, another senseless school shooting, a war in Ukraine that has no end in sight, the threat of nuclear attacks, global currencies crashing, and my favorite, the reality TV show of American politics. He is risen. If you haven't met me yet, or it's your first time here, I'm the new guy. This is my first Easter, and I just have the spiritual gift of starting off with joy and just great energy on Easter morning. <clears throat> if you uh, read the news, it's easy to feel hopeless given the current state of the world. And probably all throughout history, it's always felt that way. And you might be thinking, I came here for the pastor to make me feel happy and good. Isn't it Easter? Victory, celebration, hallelujah. That's not where the Easter story begins. It begins with Mary Magdalene and Peter and the other disciple whom we know as John coming to a tomb and finding it empty. And we know that's good news for us. But for them, it was more heartbreak upon heartbreak upon heartbreak. The week before, they were with Jesus, and Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and there was this hope in the air. There was this feeling that things were about to change. Finally, the Jewish people were going to be set free from Rome. Finally, they would be the ones in charge. Finally, hope has arrived. But throughout the story of Holy Week, hope starts to fade Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room on what we now call Monday Thursday, and he starts talking in a very real way about his impending death. And they head out to a garden, and Jesus is praying. His disciples, just a little sleepy from the seven cups of wine they had at Passover, and he's, he's pleading with the Father that if there's any other way, Lord, take this cup from me. And then Judas, one of his closest friends, shows up. A bunch of soldiers. He's betrayed him. And the rest of the disciples, they're sitting there watching this one they had put their hope in. The one who had got around proclaiming the coming kingdom of Yahweh. But now he has chains around his feet, around his wrists, and he's being pulled off. Their hope is turning to hopelessness. And Jesus on Good Friday is a sham of a trial. He's mocked, he's spit upon, he's flogged. All of his friends, his family, they've split. He's nailed upon a cross, nails through his arms and through his ankles. He's bleeding. The men crucified next to him are mocking him. Jesus, if you're the son of God, do something. The crowds are mocking. Yeah, Jesus, if you're the son of God, why don't you do something? What does Jesus do? He doesn't lash out in anger. He's not bitter. He's not angry. With his dying breath, he looks upon them crucified over the crowd saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
And with his dying breath, he willingly gives his spirit over to death and says, it is finished. And with those words, any hope that his followers had, any hope that the disciples had, any hope that his family had died with that man. They were hopeless. They were broken. They were defeated. That week leading up to this day, the church is historically called Holy Week. This week, I have in my own heart been calling it Hopeless Week. The man that these disciples, that these crowds of thousands of people had put their hope in was dead. There was no hope. They were hopeless. But maybe that's where we need to start. Maybe that's where we need to begin before we can actually realize what this day really means. If I were to ask you to define hope, it's one of those words, like, you know what it means, but if I were to ask you to articulate it right now, you'd be like, uh, it's more of a feeling, it's a sense. So I went to the trusty internet for a definition, because we know that's a great reliable source. But a dictionary says hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust, wanting something to happen or be the case. This is kind of like wishing. It's like hard to say the word, define the word without using the word, or, or Wikipedia, which is even better. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes. So it's kind of based on what's going to happen with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. The disciples' hope was very much like these definitions. They had this feeling around Jesus, this energy, things were going to change. But, which is interesting, because Jesus made it very clear throughout his entire ministry with them, like, boys, like, this is not going to go well. Count your, count your cross, pick up your cross and follow me. But yet they still have this optimistic, this feeling around what was going to happen. But on this first Easter, that hope was crushed, defeated, hopeless. Can you relate to Mary and the disciples at this empty tomb? This man that they had come to love and follow, dead, and along with it, their dreams? Maybe you've come to worship this morning. Maybe grandma's drug you here. Thanks for coming. I've been in that place. <laughs> Except it was my parents. <laughs> and you're sitting here going like, looking at, given the world's circumstances, the 24-hour news cycle, the brunch you have to have with your in-laws in about 40 minutes, you may not be feeling very hopeful Maybe a little more hopeless. Maybe you've been waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright and that hope is fading. Maybe you found Mr. or Mrs. Wright and after a couple years, decades, you're realizing marriage is a lot more difficult than you ever imagined it would be. Maybe you did everything right. You worked hard. You saved for retirement. You have the boomer dream coming, man. I mean that with love. It's 11, you can laugh at that. <laughs> but as you're headed into your golden years, they're not looking so great. 
getting the call from the doctor with the diagnosis. Things with your kids are complicated at best. Retirement fund, draining. And you're sitting here, finding yourself actually more scared and bitter and angry at the world and the circumstances, even at God, because you did all the right things and he owes you the American dream. You aren't hopeful, you're hopeless. That's where we find Mary and the disciples this morning. Now, the scriptures tell us that John and Peter, and I love that John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, like to the other ones. And he also notes that he beat Peter in all for eternity. We will know that Peter was not faster than John. (laughs) And they get to the grave, they get to the tomb and they look in and they don't see the body. And there's a sliver of hope in there. It says John believed, but for whatever reason, he didn't say anything. And they just went home. And then we have Mary. And Mary is sitting outside the tomb Eyes filled with tears as she's sitting in the hopelessness of her situation. And then casually, two angels appear. John's not like, whoa, angels. He's like, hey, Mary. Oh, hi, angels. Why are you weeping? They've taken the body of my Lord. And then she hears another voice and asks the same thing. And I love that John says that, that Mary thinks it's the gardener. (laughs) Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking for? They've taken my Lord. And then, then, she hears her name, Mary. Mary. And then her eyes are opened, and she sees, and she cries, Teacher, you did it! You promise you came back. Death is defeated. With the calling of her name from her Lord, all hope is restored. And maybe you are here this morning and you need to hear the Lord call your name. For the hopelessness of this world, death is all too real. You are barely hanging on. You may not even believe. And I pray the Spirit opens your ears and your heart this morning to hear him call your name. That in the midst of death and destruction and brokenness, there is a God who is resurrected from the grave and living and reigning and calling you unto himself. Come, Holy Spirit, call the names of your children. I find it interesting that in John's recording of the resurrection account, and really all the Gospels, like, I made it way more, like, big than it actually is. Because John doesn't say how Mary feels. John keeps it very sober, actually. And I think he probably did that because it wasn't really about Mary's experience. It wasn't about if she felt hopeful or not. It was the fact that Christ had risen from the dead. 
If you do a word search in the New Testament for resurrection, it's never around flower, flowery or like exciting language. It's always about like more like a news article, just reciting what happened. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he actually writes about the resurrection that he wrote of the first most, the most important thing he wrote to them. He says, Christ has died. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He appeared to the disciples and then to the crowds. He's actually saying this really happened. This was a historical event. And he actually goes on to say that if Christ be not raised, we are among all men to be pitied. In other words, like if this resurrection didn't happen, like just leave and go have brunch. Like this means nothing. This is just a raw, raw, feel good, hear some good music, have a couple laughs and go home. But the reality is that we worship a God who died and rose from the grave. And it's not about whether we feel good about it. It's, it's what we're putting our hope in, what Jesus has done for you and for me. That is what our hope is based on. Not the wishy-washy hope of this world. <clears throat> Christian hope is not optimism. Just like, yeah, life's going to be great. It's not positivity or an upbeat mood. Yeah, like Martin. Christian hope is not escapism, like the world's just going to burn, so let's just like hold on while we can. It's not the view that the world will get darker, but God will get us out of here. Christian hope is not progress. It does not emerge from potential or possibility. Like Gen Z's, I see this on the social media as like this manifesting into the universe. Just put the good vibes out there and you'll get exactly what you want. And I look at that and go like, and you think we're crazy for believing that a guy rose from the dead, but you can manifest a million dollars into your bank account? Like, come on, let's be honest. Rather, Christian hope is uniquely shaped by resurrection, by the resurrection and by the promise of our own future, the resurrection of Christ. Resurrection shapes us. Hope shapes us. Whatever you put your hope in will form you to be a specific kind of person. If you put your hope in the government, if you put your hope in money, if you put your hope in a relationship, if you put your hope in whatever it is, it will form you to be a kind of person who will eventually be let down because those things will fail you. They will. Not even all of them are bad things, but they will fail you. And many of us have experienced that failure over the last several years in one way or another. But having our hope in the resurrection of Christ also forms us to be a certain kind of people. The resurrection actually points to something much larger than the here and now. You're thinking, yeah, heaven, no. Like, whoa, wait, blasphemy. No, actually, the hope for the Christian is not heaven. Here's the good news. If you have a loved one that died in the Lord, they're with the Lord. That's all the New Testament says. But the hope of those who are in Christ is what John uh, paints an image in Revelation 21 and 22, is when he paints this image that God is with his people in a real physical place, portrayed as a garden and a city. And in this place, God dwells with his people and where he wipes away every tear, every sorrow, all evil will be judged. 
and dealt with. That is the hope of the resurrection. It's a long view. As Christians, we play the long, patient game. You might be thinking, but what does that have to do with anything here and now? It has everything to do with the here and now. Peter, the guy that lost the foot race, he wrote some letters also. He wrote them to to early Christians. And these early Christian scholars believe they were um, starting to experience kind of pushback, a light persecution, not physical yet, but was more like verbal assaults. They were starting to lose their social status. They were not moving up and to the right. It started to cost them something. And he was writing to these people and he writes these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, say this with me, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's playing with this language of a living hope versus a dead Messiah. And to that, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Rather, things that are not going to fade, that are not going to be destroyed. Who by God's power and being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time on the final resurrection day. In this, rejoice! Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. Who's been grieved? By various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ at his second coming. Peter is pointing these first Christians, and he's pointing you and I to look beyond what our current circumstances are. He uses this picture that that gold, that as it is tested in the fire, is made more pure. That you and I, as we endure the sufferings of this world for the sake of Christ, our hope is tested and made more pure and made more solid. Think about the most hopeful people in your life. Maybe it's someone you've read about. Maybe it's a family member. They're not often like the really good-looking 20-year-old that got the $100,000 job right out of college. The most hopeful people are those who have suffered deeply. Those who have experienced the real power of sin and death and hell on this earth. And as I sit with those people with tears in their eyes and I ask them, why do you have hope? Why do you still believe? They say, because I know this isn't all there is. That the living, reigning Messiah has called me by name. And when he returns, we'll make all things new. That gives me strength for the things today. It's just like the definition of hope. It's hard to name it, but when you see it, you know it. There's a member in our congregation, and she sent me an article this week as I was was reflecting on the the resurrection, and um, she sent me this article from a theologian who is her son, so she was very proud. And um, and in the article, he he mentions, maybe you're familiar, after Jesus appears to uh, to Mary and the disciples, 
And then to, uh, to Thomas, what does he do? He shows them his wounds. Think about that. Have you caught that? He is raised from the dead, but he's still marked by the wounds he had in the crucifixion. And this theologian was thinking, how does um, the evil that we endure here, how does it mark us and shape us in the world to come? And it got me thinking that, how does hope play in our day-to-day life here? That maybe the ways, the things that we suffer here, not that God causes them, and not that every single thing we endure here has some big cosmic meaning. Because I've sat with those people who have endured. They're able to look at the marks on their, on their hearts, on their minds, and sometimes on their physical bodies. And instead of turning into bitter, jaded, hopeless people, those marks and wounds by the grace of Jesus have marked them to be people of hope. And what if in the resurrection, I don't know, what if we're standing around showing the scars of this life and saying, this got me through that, and look at how Jesus was faithful there, and Jesus was faithful here, as we are marked by Jesus and the resurrection to come. Peter and most of the writers of the New Testament, they were writing to people who had not physically seen the resurrected Jesus, just like you and I. And Peter was one of those people where he was riding on the authority of his eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus. And that's what gave him the authority, the power to write these letters. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of tornadoes, school shootings, wars, financial crashes, and brunch with your in-laws, May you cling to the hope that is to come in Christ, and may that hope form us into a people who are faithful and, dare I say, joyful in the face of this world. So I leave us with the words that Peter left to his dear brothers and sisters. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Grace and peace till we rise in glory.